Hello and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and this week we are shredding any remaining festive spirit. My guest is Ross Jeffrey, author of the ongoing Juniper trilogy, the second of which, Tome, earned him a Bram Stoker Award nomination. Each of those books is disturbing enough, but they're positively jolly when compared to his latest work, Only the Stains Remain. I'm serious, people. This week, we get very dark. Consider this a warning to the curious. You know I only rock out the trigger warnings when they are essential, this being a horror podcast, after all. But this week, we're talking about awful things, including sexual abuse. Neither the conversation nor Ross's book goes into the details, but considering it's Christmas and and just factoring in a bit of basic human consideration, I thought it was good to give you a heads up. No worries though, because Ross turns out to be a delightful man, quite at odds with the people he writes about, and, and the conversation, despite all of that, is pretty jolly. We cover all kinds of things, from why Ross is drawn to such extreme projects, why writing for shock alone never really works, what it was like to be Bram Stokered out of the blue, and, and what members of Ross's church make of his writing. So, come with me to a sand-blasted, benighted parcel of land in the middle of nowhere. That sound could be the screaming of cats, or something else. Let's talk scared. Well, hi, Ross, and welcome to Talking Scared. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Just like last year, I'm, I'm kind of using the month of December to catch up with the writers who've escaped my clutches earlier in the year. I know we've been speaking on and off about you on the show for a while. I'm delighted to finally have you here because uh, I've been talking a good game about promoting indie authors, but it's time to actually do it. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, that said... Well, we arranged the date before I had a chance to catch up on your latest release, Only the Stains Remain. And and if I had, I may not have scheduled this episode <laughs> so close to Christmas. Yeah. I, I can't think of many books that are less in keeping with the seasonal vibe. But, but, you know, it's a horror podcast. It is what it is. I've already offered a warning to the curious in the introduction to this. So anyone listening now does what their own peril. Though, as, as me and Ross have said off air, we will avoid gratuitous detail um and i do want to talk about your juniper stories too because mm-hmm. well it's an interesting topic so i'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that but let's start with only the stains remain can you kind of tee it up for us with a an intro uh yeah so um only the stains remain came out through cemetery gates media it is the story of um jude and kyle uh who are two brothers who um they have a very difficult upbringing, let's say. Uh, after their mum dies, they're kind of left under the rule of their kind of drunk father and abusive uncles. Um, and they kind of persevere um, and kind of while Jude suffers to a degree, it's kind of Kyle, his older brother, that gets the brunt of this kind of abuse that happens um, by those that are supposed to, to love and care for them. The story's told in almost like a flashback narrative. So um, Jude has waited uh, a long time to get vengeance and closure on a lot of things that happened whilst he, when he was a child. And he sets out on a dark quest to punish the wrongs of the past. Uh, and that, that's kind of roughly, in a nutshell, what it is. <laughs> right. I read this book and I was appalled. <laughs> now, normally, that wouldn't be something an author would want to hear. But in your case, I'm guessing it's actually quite high praise. Yeah, I quite, I quite like that praise. It's quite nice. Um, it's Yeah, I didn't set out really to appall people. I just wanted to kind of write a story where I didn't pull any punches. Since I've been writing, a lot of people have said the way I write is a bit like Jack Ketchum. And I've, I've never kind of read any of his work before. And then after I finished writing Stains, I was like, oh, okay, I'll dig one out. And then a friend of the show, Josh Malaman, uh, I was chatting to him and he said, look, you need to read The Girl Next Door. Like that, that is the best. So read that one. So I read it and then I was like, yeah, I can see the similarities. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it wasn't, a, it's not a cheery number. Your reaction is very, that's very good praise. I like it. I'm glad it's rare you can throw the word appalled at people and not offend them. So yeah, <laughs> it's, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Jack Ketchum because that was the, the very forefront of my mind while I was reading it. So I, I agree with that. That that kind of hard-boiled, pull-no-punches, really grimy, nasty slice-of-life stuff. Mm. Um, that's very much there. And And I've seen people refer to your work other books, not actually this one, but I've seen people refer to your work as, as kind of Stephen King and Cormac McCarthy-esque. Mm. And I, I would have described not necessarily the, the, the pro style of your work, but certainly the no-holds-barred approach as something like Jack Ketchum mixed with Chuck Parniok or, or something like oh, that. It's yeah. got a nihilism to it that I I admired. Oh, thank you. Chuck, uh, Chuck Parniok is one of my... He's the guy that kind of made me want to be a writer, so that's quite that's very nice praise indeed. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, really? That's interesting. You're a Chuck fan, are you? Uh, huge, huge Chuck fan. Like, I run a magazine as well called Storgy Magazine, and I had, an op- I had an opportunity a few years ago to interview him, which was, like, a dream come true. Um, but, yeah, like, I've got all his stuff. And, like, it, I read Fight Club kind of before it was turned into a film. So in my head, I was kind of like, that is amazing. Like, all of it, like, every single bit about it, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And I just devoured everything he wrote afterwards. Um and, you know, he's, he's done a couple that I haven't liked, but, you know, the majority of it is gold dust. So thank you. I have read Haunted so many times. I wrote my university thesis on Haunted, so I've read it upwards of 20 times, and it's still one of my favourite books. You still find new things to delight yourself with that book each time you read it. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, I think that one in particular is one of the one of the best interconnected story collection, but, like, just with an overarching theme. But that, it's just amazing. Like, every single story in it is... Is a yeah. I, I read it quite regularly as well. Like I probably read it every couple mm. of years just to kind of, if I'm writing short story stuff, just to get my head back in the game because it is yeah, it's a game changer. Yeah, it kind of pisses me off that any one man can have that many ideas for one book. I mean, I'd kill for just one of those ideas, <laughs> yeah. you know. And it, yeah. uh, I've been trying to get Chuck on the show myself, so one day I will get him on. But, but anyway, back back to you. So you mentioned that you wanted to to write this story, and I, I wonder kind of why. And I asked that question without any censorious overtones, because I, I hate that this idea of if you write about horrible things, there has to be something wrong with you. It just, yeah. the idea pisses me off. So I'm, I'm not asking that. I'm not kind of saying, well, why on earth did you do this in a, in a shocked way? Mm. But just because it is quite a challenging thing to take on, wh- why did you write this tale of perversion and abuse? Um, the book originally, during lockdown, uh, me and a couple of friends were struggling with kind of lockdown and not being able to go out and stuff. So we kind of said, like, right, what we're going to do is each week we'll write a short story. And we kept it up all through the year. I think we only stopped in August. So we've got short stories for every week up until August. Um, and we give each other, we give a title and then all three of us will go away and write a story about that title. And, and I wrote the story, it's called Duty Paid. And it was a very, very condensed, it was only like, uh, I think it was about 3,000 words. And it was part of when the story starts uh, in, in the actual book. And I wrote it and I, I loved it. And I was kind of like, oh, this is really cool. I like this idea. And then put it aside. And then for about, know, probably about a month, I kept on thinking about Jude and the character. And I was like, it like it was almost like a personal haunting. Like he was he was there with me all the time. And I was like, I wonder what happened to him, like what what made him do that or what the hand he was dealt and um, what could do that to a person. And then, and then just things started to fall into place. And I was like, right, okay, I'm going there, am I? <laughs> um, hmm. And then because uh, I've, I've worked in um, like children and family centres and, and done lots of stuff with like social care. And like currently I work at, um, I'm a manager of a homeless centre in Bristol and uh, all, the, all the kind of trauma that I've come across in life and what it does to people is just heartbreaking and the way things can go and the way things pan out. And as I was coming up to kind of thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to focus this particular trauma on, on child abuse. And I was like, I didn't want to glorify it in any way. And I don't believe I have, you know, it's not kind of splatterpunk style rape and all that kind of stuff. I've, I kind of take the reader near enough <clears throat> and then I kind of let them fill in the blanks and I, I kind of yeah I think it's powerful I think you know fiction um I've got a quote on my desk that I always look at and like good fiction's job is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable um by David Foster Wallace and uh, that's what I try and do with my work and um and this one in particular I was just 
it was very difficult to write and challenging and I pushed myself through it and had to take a few breaks and stuff. But I think the final product was everything I wanted to achieve, I've achieved. And, and you know, like we read horror, so I like people to be horrified by what I write and hopefully it's done that. Right. So the fact that you mentioned that, you, you know, it's not Splatterpunk and, it, and, and you, you don't revel in what happens to these children. Mm. You are right about that. Like almost all of the abuse and, and let's elephant in the room here. It, it's sexual abuse. You know, almost all of that abuse suffered by Jude and Kyle is kept off the page and you kind of measure mm-hmm. it out in implication. Was that important for you to do that or was it just for your own comfort? Um, it was important for me to do it. Uh, when I wrote it originally, I had not in detail, but I had gone into some of that visual aspect of it um and you know like i tried when i was writing it i was trying to paint it in a way that it was more of a assault on the senses and you know there was like certain noises and things like that and smells and things that would kind of conjure an image in someone's mind and i think one of the lines i cut from it was something like the the beds the bed springs screamed out a tattoo into the night or something like that and i was just like i don't need to i don't need to have that so i'm going to remove it and I was trying to be delicate with what I was writing, even though it is horrific. Um, but yeah, like the, the first draft I kind of went through and there were bits like that in it. And then I kind of went back and I was like, no, I don't want to glorify it in any way. I don't want people to not, not get their not get their kicks out of it. But you know what I mean, like I didn't want to like kind of yeah. tantalize people with certain things. So I, as I kind of was working through it, I was removing parts and kind of writing it in a way where you know, like in, in Jack Ketchum's Girl Next Door, which I read afterwards, like there's just that one chapter where it's like one line and it's like, I don't need to tell you what happened. And like that mm-hmm. for me was even more powerful, the fact that you don't have to say it and I can visualise it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of roughly where that came from, that kind of like style of it. Well, considering how sensitive the topic is, and and, and actually considering the fact that you've worked in a, a adjacent sector to a, a lot of this stuff or certainly where you've been privy to hmm. information and real world cases D- did you feel a responsibility to in quotation marks get it right was the curse of exploitation hanging over your head when you were writing this yeah i think w- when i think when i started writing it that was the front and center i was like i don't want to write something that is inaccurate in a way i don't want hmm. it to be i don't want it to come across like comedic because it's not it's like very really serious stuff and um and I can't I was I was really nervous when I was releasing it and and you know when when Cemetery Gates they came, they reached out to me I was doing like I think it was a pit mad thing on on Twitter and I, and then they got in contact and they were like oh yeah I would like to read it and I sent it over and they, they got back to me really quickly afterwards and said oh yeah we really like it it's nothing like we've done before <laughs> um mm. it's quite dark and and you know but the writing's good and we'd love to do it so I was like okay that's cool and then as it got nearer the time I was like oh shit like, are they gonna like is it is it too out there? Is it going to cut people up the wrong way? And then I think within a couple of weeks, I had a, I had a review back from uh, Leslie of the Nerdy Narrative, as uh, the YouTube channel, and um, and she won't mind me saying because it's in it's in her review, which is up. She kind of said that she suffered some of this abuse as as a child, and she said it was horrendous abuse. Um, and afterwards, she was talking, and she said. Um, she said, but, you know, this deals with some gritty and dark subjects, but, you know, for the first time, I feel seen and I feel validated. And and for me, that, like, I don't care who else reads the book. Like, <laughs> she suffered that abuse and she said that it was dealt with in such a way that, you know, it made her, yeah, feel validated about kind of what happened and um, mm-hmm. gave her, like, the encouragement and, and stuff to kind of face some of that while she was reading it. And, and for me, like, that's just, that's epic. Like, I'm just like wow, if I wrote this book for one person and that person's you, then, you know, thank you. But yeah, there was there was some trepidation in, in putting it out because I was like, it's either going to go one way or the other and I, I'm just glad it's kind of going the other way, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a curse, isn't it, of being a horror writer who is a nice person because, I mean, I like to think of myself as somebody who is, you know, falls very much in the in the progressive sort of camp. But I'm writing a story at the minute that is, is all to do with... Um, sort of Islamic fundamentalism and terrorism. And I'm just so nervous all the time that someone will take it and read it as kind of, you know, daily mail bait. And I'm like, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I can imagine writing something like this. 
it's a curse having to think about the audience sometimes. Yeah, and I think as well, it's you know, it's not just it's not just indie writers and anyone. It's like everyone. Like I think now where where the world is kind of awoken to lots of issues and things like that, it is it is difficult ground to cover. And um, you know, like I'm good friends with Eric LaRocca and like his book, um, uh, things have gotten worse since we last spoke. You know, he's mm. he's like a, a queer man and he wrote this book and he just he got like loads of abuse from the lgbt community about his depiction of um lesbians and um but he was brave enough to put it out there and you know i i have to kind of like commend him for that because you know a lot of people would shy away from it and yeah and you know some of these reviews that he's got are, you know are people that haven't done their research and think he's a straight guy writing about it and it's like come on but um but yeah i can see what you mean like it is difficult and challenging, and, um, and it, but if you, if you deal with it correctly and in the right way, and your intentions are just and true, and you're not trying to like stir up hate or anything like that, then you know I think writers should just try and write what they can, and it's, it's freeing in a way. Um, I, I, as I said, I was I was absolutely petrified writing this, <laughs> but it, after it was out and kind of the initial kind of couple of weeks had gone by, I was like, oh, actually, I'm. I'm I'm pretty glad I wrote it and had the balls to go there and do it. Well, I know you have a young family. You're the father of two girls, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, you know, does being a father change how you approach this kind of fiction? Yes and no. (laughs) Um, I I write stories that I want to write, and that's first and foremost in the front of my head. Like, I'm not swayed by outside influences. If I want to write it, I will do it. Um, But you know, there is that bit of me that I'm like, uh, like, because my girls always ask me like if they can read what I write, and I'm like, not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to use my writing as a platform to address certain injustices in the world, and we'll get onto like Juniper and stuff and later on. But like, you know, Juniper deals heavily with kind of domestic abuse um, and kind of loneliness, and like Tome is is full on uh, soapbox for kind of racism and that type of stuff and then this is child abuse and kind of they're, they're kind of themes i want I, I believe there should be more of in in the kind of horror field because in that at least you know we can go to those places and have the kind of you know the carpet laid out for us it's like yeah go on and go write about this horrible stuff that's happening in the world and put your twist on it um but there's a part of me that wants to write a happy book soon <laughs> it's just so my kids can have a re- read it before and but we shall see <laughs> yeah the, the, the hungry cannibalistic caterpillar that kind of yeah, thing yeah uh, i mean you you mention um eric LaRocca, mm. and um i don't know if, if we've actually made it clear but only the stained remain is a novella it comes in at around 140 pages so yeah. that the sort of the top end of novella i suppose I've, I've, I've had a few novellas on the show this year and some have been like perfect for the form and i would say eric larocca's things have gotten worse is the best mm-hmm. um of, of that bunch you know it's and catherine valente's comfort me with apples also yeah. they're the standout pair because both of those books really you know fit the length and the form they feel like nice clean mm. uncluttered machines yeah others felt like they could have benefited from, from a more expansive take as if the story was a little too compressed and could have done with more room to breathe mm-hmm. yours is an interesting book in that respect because whilst i would have liked to have known more about this degenerate family like there's all kinds of things like there's hints that the jew's mother has been through something similar mm-hmm. with her brothers there's, there's hints of that um and, and the dad's an interesting character in that he's he, he begins as quite a, presumably a loving figure and he's just degraded and and and, and corroded by loss and and grief and and drink. There's lots more that I think you could elaborate on, mm-hmm. and I, I would have liked you to have done. But at the same time, keeping it short allows you to focus almost exclusively on the sheer horror of yeah. the tale. There's there's nothing but horror. Mm. That was that was a, a a conscious um a conscious decision because I you know I um when I started writing Juniper was my debut and then I went into um <clears throat> I wrote Tome straight after it and and then I've written a novel which is kind of I'm still trying to find it at home at the minute um and it's that's called The Devil's Pocketbook and uh, what I loved about the novel form is that you can just go off on tangents and you can bring in 
certain bits about characters and add all that kind of stuff on. I was like, I love all that stuff, but this one I was just like, right, I, I just want to write a a condensed, horrific kind of story that has heart and 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 passion in it. Um, passion's probably the wrong word, but you know, <laughs> uh, passion in the prose and all that kind of stuff. And um, and yeah, it was kind of stripping all the bits away that like, I, I put the hints in that you know people could fill in. And, and like, I'm glad you picked up on on the mum kind of thing as well. Um, so I put those little kind of almost breadcrumbs in to kind of show that there's other bits that have gone on, but we don't quite know about it. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I did, I, I didn't want to do, write a, you know, 300 page book about abuse and, um, and be stuck in that world for so long. I was just like, no, I need to, it needs to be, I want to get in, I want to write it. I want to have that impact. And then I want to get out. Because it is, it is a is a strange place to put your mind in when you're writing, and you know I spent time with these horrible bastards of characters, and it it was challenging every day sitting down, being like, right, I need to get into the mindset of this uncle who mm-hmm. you know burns the burns his like nephew and stuff, and um, but yeah, it was it was done on on purpose to kind of keep my sane, keep myself sane, and you know. Well, I was going to ask, actually, I was, what is it like writing something that's so unremittingly dark? Because there's no breathing space. There's no respite from the vileness at all. Does it does it take a toll when you're writing something like that? Um, I'd, I'd say, yeah. Um, you know, there's there was many times, and because of the structure of it, uh, you know, I, I do plan a lot when I before I get down to writing. And I knew that each part would be three parts in each part, and it would be five parts in total and all this kind of stuff. And normally when i sit down i'll just blast out you know i'm probably an exception to the rule but i'll do like five five k on a writing session and i don't get a lot of time to write so when i sit down it is kind of that's why i have to plan it so i know what i'm doing um but with this one in particular i was probably writing about two thousand words a day um just taking my time and easing myself through it and um and there were some chapters that i wrote a chapter and and i was like that was difficult and then I kind of had to just take a break and I was like, yeah, I won't write anymore today. And then I <laughs> talk about Eric LaRocco, like we, we sampled off each other and uh, like he sends me some of his stuff and's like, just let me know if I've gone too far. And then I'll read it and I'll be like, no, no, no that's fine. And then I'll send mine to him and I'll be like, just have I gone too far? And he's like, no, nah, it's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not sure that feedback loop is the healthiest. It's, because it's I, not, I think, no. you know, <laughs> You two are not a fair sample of the populace. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And I was just like, I, I probably should seek other people's opinions, but I quite like the fact that Eric just says, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, in particular, like, yeah, this book was one of the toughest I've, I've had to write. You know, Tome had some elements in that just with the racism. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm absolutely appalled by racism. And I, especially in Tome, like some of the characters in there are full on, racists and having to write some of the words I wrote and Mm. it's just but again I didn't want to shy away from it I didn't want to like just chop it out and 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 with Tome in particular right uh Richard Thomas another brilliant writer um he kind of uh read it and gave me a blurb and I was very supportive and said you know you might want to get uh some people of color to read it which I, I had started to but he said you know maybe open the field up a little bit and get a lot more people in just to see mm. if what you're writing is, is is okay and if they think it's okay or if they've got any recommendations and um and I did that and and you know ma- the majority of everybody that read it came back and was like that's what it's like um you know yeah. I, it's not your characters it's not you as a writer that's putting your view across they said it comes across through the character's point of view so they said that's how yeah. it is you know you've written it really well and you know it might not be everyone's cup of tea with the words you've used and what you've said and but that's how people see us and I was like okay that's kind of what I wanted and then there's an afterword in in tone which is a lot of people read it afterwards and they're just like oh yeah okay that's where this came from um mm. but yeah so yeah that's I, I, I think I went off topic no no it's fine it's interesting this show's all about going off topic that's where the the magic is but yeah, reading Tome, it is, it is an interesting thing because I remember reading Stephen King in, you know, when I was like 15 and he would think nothing of, of presenting, presenting his racist characters because in, in King, you know, racism is often a, um, a, a really clear and obvious marker of villainy. Um, and, and you, you know, the amount of racial slurs that you find in King's fiction, in, in other fiction from that era, 
just yeah. thrown around and, and it goes unremarked. It's just characterization. And, and these days, it, it's much more jarring, I think, when you read certain words mm. um, in fiction. They really do kind of hit differently now. Whether that's yeah. because I'm older and more aware of the potency of that word or whether because the world has changed in, in a good way and that those words do actually have the weight they should have, certainly in a horror novel. You know, um, it, it is an interesting thing. And yeah, and reading told, it, it was sometimes like a little bit of a, a jab to the, to, the, to the stomach, like those words mm. would flash off the page, you know. But yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's why I think I, I'm all for this this kind of, widening the net and getting sensitivity readers and stuff like that if not it, people often talk about that in terms of oh it's pc gone mad and it's not it's like if i'm going to write about a racist mm. i want the racist to be an authentic racist Do you know what i mean yeah. i don't want to write my toy bin version of what i think a white supremacist is i want to know that i've written a, an authentic dickhead yeah yeah I, mean, I think that's that's really powerful and you know there's um there's a book i'm i'm well it's going to be my next book i write but um, like I'm going to need to delve into a community that I'm not currently connected to. Um, but mm -hmm. one of the characters is in this community and I need to know kind of some dark stuff, you know, um, abuse they may have suffered from being in the community, like what, what things are said about them. And, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that they will open up and, and talk to me about it and I need to kind of sort, set that in motion. But I want it to be as authentic as possible and you know i'm not going to quote them or anything but i'm just going to use that in my fiction to make it as real as i can get it um and not shy away from certain words if if they're called for and you know if someone from that community tells me that that's a word that's been used against them i'm going to be like okay well that's going in <laughs> um yeah, yeah. because they you know and i think the way I deal with these kind of issues that I feel are important, like, you know, I've said it before, like domestic abuse, racism, you know, child abuse, the authenticity of it is really important to me. And, um, and, I, you know, otherwise, what am I doing if I'm not writing it right? Um, mm -hmm. I'm just glossing over horrible things just to make it palatable for people. So they, they're like, oh, yeah, that, was, that wasn't very nice, was it? when actually it's horrific. <laughs> um, well, well, that's where I feel it does slide into actual exploitation. I think when you start weirdly softening these things, again, I think there are different rules for horror because it's all about confrontation, you know? And when you start softening these things and making them, as you said, palatable, that to me is far more exploitative hmm. than, you know, saying, well, I've done the research and I've, I've kind of exposed myself as much as I can in, in my position to, to this um, to, to the information around this stuff, that that at least carries respect to me. It might be uncomfortable for everyone concerned, but it's got to be better than doing a, a kind of half-assed job. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, we'll get off our salt box, shall we? Like, let's talk about yeah. horrendous violence. <laughs> okay, let's rock and roll. It's perfect for this time of year. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Ho, ho, ho. In, in Only the Stains, we, we've already talked about how you, you largely keep the abuse off the page mm -hmm. you certainly don't keep the vengeance off the page because you draw out these lengthy scenes of really vengeful violence i mean no spoiler but some of the abusers are kind of burned alive gutted like pigs awful things done to their eyes you know so at, at this point now half the audience have gone nope not for me and the other half have gone straight to amazon yeah <laughs> um but but yeah you think of some hideous stuff and be honest, mm. was there a pleasure in creating that torment? Did you take the opportunity to revel in some viciousness that can't really be argued with? Absolutely. <laughs> Every single thing. Like I, I wrote, I created these monsters and I wanted to see them burn and, and be, <laughs> be destroyed. Like, you know, it was the only way I could rid myself of them afterwards. I was just like, okay, he's absolutely horrible. Um, and I was like, what can we do to him? <laughs> and I was just thinking all these different things up. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, what would I do if, you know, someone had abused, like, you know, or my child or I knew someone that had abused a child? You know, if, if I couldn't get arrested, like, what would I do? And it was kind mm -hmm. of, like, interesting. There, there were some that fell on the cutting room floor because um, I was like, yeah, that's a bit too much. Um but, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they may come up in another book, who knows. Um, but I was just like, yeah, I love creating horrible characters. Like, it's one of my things I love. Like, in all my work, there is someone that I 
try to get the um, kind of reader to absolutely despise, and then I just love taking them apart. Um, it's, it's some it's quite cathartic, I think, um, and especially with this because I was thinking about like you know cases that I'd been involved in and things that I'd seen happen and just the whole villain villainousness of it, and I was like. And it was kind of almost in a way like I wanted those people that had done those things to these other people to suffer. And I was like, let mm-hmm. me put it on the page and I'll do that. And um, and again, like uh, Leslie, who I spoke about before, who reviewed it, she said, you know, like when she was little and she was going through this, like the only way she could cope was that she wrote stories about her killing the people that did this abuse to her in the most horrible ways. And she'd wrote them on pieces of paper. And then in the review, she says that her guidance counselor found one and that was kind of, they kind of found out then that something was going on and that's kind of what happened. And um, so I think it's in that sense, I think as well, like some of the people I've spoken to, like they just wanted to hurt their abusers and and do it. And I got the opportunity to kind of be like, right, okay, how are we going to deal with this one? So that leads me to my last question about On With The Stains, and it, it might be the most challenging question. Um, there's a key quote, right, that I pulled out of the text. So at a particular moment of extreme suffering, one of these men kind of is prostrate, and he says to Jude, I pity you, you're no better than us. And it's something actually that Jude, the Avenger, then has to seriously consider he doesn't dismiss it. He really thinks about it. And I found that interesting. And it's quite a bold inclusion because it it, it muddies the waters mm. of what would otherwise be a very simple revenge fantasy. And it really does ask the reader to confront whether this kind of vigilante vengeance can be justified. Yeah. Where do you stand on all that in relation to your book or, or whatever? Because it is a work of fiction, <laughs> um, I am kind of on the line of, you know, it is very challenging and, you know, it's a difficult line to draw. Um, if I'm talking about as a person and as I am, you know, I think, although I would love for whoever it was to get justice on such and such in horrible ways, you know, I have to put my kind of faith in the um, justice system. And uh, But I kind of wanted to put that in there in a way that it does kind of offer that question to the reader, like, oh, actually, is what he's doing justified? And it's just it just adds a bit of weight at a particular point, you know. Otherwise, this turns into like a, a you know, just a story about just butchering people. And I just wanted to give it a bit of weight at a particular point where it forces the reader to kind of almost think like, if I was in their shoes, what would I do? Like, if I if I was Jude now, looking at what I was doing, would I feel like the monster? And there's another line in it as well that you know, t- to kill a monster, you have to become a monster. And, and that was also kind of in my head as well. But yeah, it, off, it offers up lots of stuff, lots of questions. And I was just kind of like, I, I need to put that in there because, you know, I don't want people to think, you know, just because I write all this horrid stuff <laughs> um, doesn't mean I'm a serial killer <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> interested in any type of abuse. Um, and, you know, like, lots of people kind of think that, oh, you write horror and it's really dark. Oh, you must be really weird because... It's not the case. <laughs> I mean, I think you're amongst friends on this show, to be honest. I read uh, an interview with you where you said that for a good few years, you actually struggled to write. I, I did, yeah. You said that you found yourself writing shock pieces that yeah. didn't have a reason behind them. You've done your research. I'm impressed. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that and what changed? Yeah, so um, it's probably about six or seven years off from writing and beforehand I was writing lots of like, like just really dark stuff that kind of didn't have any it was I, I'm assuming because I don't read splatterpunk um but I'm assuming it was kind of of that ilk of lots of horrible stuff going on and and there was no no story no kind of nothing good in it it was just all dark and all filth and horrible stuff happening to lots of people and and I kind of liked it when I was writing it um, just because of the reaction it elicited from those that read it. And like, you know, someone just, Oh, this is absolutely amazing. Like, I can't believe you went there and you did that. And this is just absolutely sick. And, and I, and I kind of fed off that and I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I like that. And then I, I kind of 
became almost like addicted to appalling people. Um, I then got married and uh, and then my my wife was kind of reading some of it and she, and she knew I wrote and before and she was just like, this is really dark. Like there's no progression, there's no story and it just, it just seems like you're just angry. And I was just like, mm. yeah, maybe I am. <laughs> um, and then I just stopped writing and, um, and you know, it's quite strange. I, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian. Um, I, uh, active Christian, you know, I'm not, not shy about saying that. And, um, and it's quite strange that, you know, I, I, I became a Christian and then, um, kind of spent seven years not writing anything. And I, I kept notes and everything and kept it all together. And, and I think then one, one day I was just, like, oh, let me write, a, I'm just going to write a, just a piece. And I wrote something called Bethesda and it was the uh, kind of a reimagining of the pool of Bethesda. And it was a bit weird and a bit crazy. Um, and I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I sent it out into the world and, and just said, I've got a story. Do you know what I can do? And then someone read it and said, all oh, right, I, I want to buy it and I want to, publish it and I was like okay that's cool and then I kind of realized that it was probably the only story I wrote that had a bit of heart to it and um and it had found value and I was like okay that's quite cool and then I just started kind of from there just writing stories and 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 doing stuff and and it just progressed and and then I I decided to pull the trigger one day and write Juniper and, and send that out into the world and um was yeah amazed by its response um and then yeah i just caught the bug then and 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 now i've got like a drawer full of ideas that i'd I'd stored over those seven years and trying to get the time to write them um but it's also quite funny because you know um obviously being a christian and going to church uh some of those picking up my work and reading it is is quite funny to see their reactions um (laughs) yeah yeah that, that is an unexpected revelation yeah it's um yeah it's interesting and you know all of my work has a you know it might be a bible passage in it or something like that and and you know i think tome is probably the the closest i've got to like writing saying this good versus evil and that's based on like mm-hmm. fact that's based on stuff that happens in real life and um uh but yeah it is it's interesting <laughs> to see to see to see them looking at me in church well you mentioned bible passages mm. and it's actually quite a nice way to segue from Ongla the Stains into Juniper, because I noticed that there is the same Bible passage appears in both. Mm-hmm. This this line, the Lord will fight for you, you only need to be still, yep. it appears in both stories. And I wonder, does that have some special significance for you? Uh, it does, actually. I have, I have a tattoo of it on my arm, probably about six years ago. Um, I was walking to work one day, and um, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was walking along the road, clutching my chest, like the most excruciating pain I've ever had was just radiating through me. No one stopped. Like they just watched me like collapsing <laughs> in the street. I went to hospital. And then I spent about eight months off work. Um, no one knowing what on earth had happened. I was on so much morphine. I was on, I was on every single drug in the world. Like it was just crazy. Um, like you'd shake me and I'd rattle. Uh, and just the pain would not go away. I started losing sensation in my legs uh, and, and in my hand, like my hand's still numb today. And uh, the only way to kind of see someone, was I had to pay to go privately to see a, uh, a spine specialist and neck specialist. And, um, you know, I'm not well off, let's put it that way. And I kind of went in the room and I said, look, this is happening. And I've been told it's something might be something to do with my neck or my spine. Um, and then they um, said okay, well, you know, I'm not going to charge you because I can see that this is quite expensive. Uh, but go to see this guy at the hospital. So I went to see him and it took over a year to find a diagnosis. Um, this is really long, sorry. I suffer from two uh, degenerative conditions. So I've got um, a degenerative disc disorder. Uh, and then I've got something called um, Sherman's disease, which is something that when I was growing like the, the vertebrae in my back formed in different angles i spent like a yeah i think it was 18 months in total just having to sit there and not know where anything was going and you know my i only got a certain amount of pay off of work and you know i lived i, I rent and i've got a family to support and and i just had to be still uh, and i read that passage one day and i was just like okay i'm just gonna 
I'm just going to sit here and you are going to fight this because I can't do anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, came out on top. <laughs> so it's so that's actually quite an affirmative thing in your yeah. fiction then, as, yeah, as yeah. a motto. Yeah. Uh, and okay. I, right. it, it, I think it may... I, it might pop up in another book as well, but that's one of the verses that I just refer to all the time. And, and it's also a verse like my wife, when she had our second child, uh, we almost lost our second child because of some kind of thing. So she had to have a C-section and lost loads of blood. Um, and again, that verse was something that, that my wife had kind of read before and then I, we shared it together and I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that makes sense. And it's just, yeah, something that's really important to me. So I'll stick it in the book. It's quite good. <laughs> Okay, right, yeah. I did, I did spot it. It kind of stuck out to me. Mm. I hope you're better now and everything. Yeah, the only thing I can't do is ride a motorbike because I can't. I'm not. I can't tilt my head straight up. But I don't ride a motorbike, so that's alright. <laughs> Talking scared is partnering with Novelic, the book app for people who want their suggestions from fellow readers, not an algorithm. Novelic is the perfect way to curate your TBR list with real recommendations from fellow-minded readers broken down into genre, including, yep, horror, and all adjacent delights. You can download Novelic for free on iOS or Android devices and get browsing right away, or join a book club for more in-depth chat on your favourite topic. The Talking Scared Club is up and running now for Patreon members. Try Novelic for a nicer way to find your next read. I mean, that, like I said, is a good way to segue into Juniper, into jollier things, though anyone who has read Juniper, the fact that I'm describing it as jollier should give you some indication as to how bleak Only the Stains Remain is. <laughs> but for those who don't know, can, can you briefly introduce us to this world you've created? Uh, yeah, so Juniper is part one of a, of a trilogy. It is kind of a, almost um, pre-apocalyptic, although I did write post-apocalyptic, but lots of people think it's pre-apocalyptic. Um, I'm obviously British. I know nothing about America. So I thought I would create my own town and populate it with a whole lot of crazy. And I absolutely loved it. It's kind of my homage to uh, Castle Rock, um, lots of weird things happen in this town and, and Juniper in particular follows um, the struggles of Betty who's kind of like a town outcast um, Janet and Klein who have a very dysfunctional relationship uh, yeah currently the town is in the uh, grips of a drought and they have to resort to a new cattle to sustain themselves and Betty finds something on the road <laughs> there we go <laughs> yeah, yeah she does and, and looming over all of it is is juniper correctional facility which comes to the fore in tome yes in a big way the, the minute i i mean obviously when i read juniper i i knew that tom existed but i think even if i hadn't i'd have been pretty much convinced you're going to bring that into play because it is just this like almost metaphorical monolith in the background we don't hear much about it in juniper but you know it's there and it's going to kind of come into its own yeah so um i i, I kind of wrote them in a in a funny order as well so juniper is is kind of middle book let's say um because tome is set 17 years before uh juniper and um i'm currently writing the third book which is set 17 years after juniper um and that's called scorched um and they're they're currently unfortunately because it'd be pretty cool if everyone went out and bought them um they're currently unavailable at the minute because they are coming out in very nice editions from um stygian sky media uh next year they they loved them so much that they wanted to kind of rebrand them and do them again and it's got they got daniel sarah covers um ah god his covers are amazing aren't yeah they? yeah so and it's um and yeah so basically i'm finishing the third book chucking it over to them um, early part of next year. And then um, I think they're going to be releasing all, all three at the same time. And, in, and and the covers are just beautiful. They they all fit together. So if you put them all out, you get like a landscape of, of Juniper. And um, something I love to do as well in my fiction is, is bring in um, the weather. So weather plays a big part. It's almost another character in most of my stuff. And mm. um, so, yeah, Juniper's a drought. Uh, tome it rains all the time uh, and then in Scorched uh, it's, uh, it's kind of like a snowstorm blizzard type thing 
Do you have like a rough date for when they're coming out? Or uh, I don't. Last time I heard uh, when I spoke to them recently, they said six months. So I'm assuming it must be like May time. I'm thinking. Okay. I've almost finished the third book, and then I've got to edit it and stuff. So I'm, my soft deadline for that is well, I'm going to hopefully finish it by Christmas, and then edit it for January. So hopefully, six months. I think is is the is the key. I know that Priya Sharma described Juniper the first book, as we said, is The Love Child of Stephen King and Cormac McCarthy. I'm going to offer another comparison. Again, it's Chuck Palahniuk, but for me, it's like as if Chuck Palahniuk took on Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> because it, it is this kind of nascent apocalypse. I know you said that you consider it post-apocalypse. I I read it as, as kind of pre or on the cusp of apocalypse. Yeah, And I wonder if that is because looking around, it's not that far from where we are now. Like Lake Mead is just losing water at the rate of like feet a day. So the desert states are massively short of water. They're talking about cutting off water supply to Mexico. California's been under drought for over a decade now. Yeah. Um, and then there's all the famines and catastrophes through history. It, it, it feels like this stuff isn't really speculative fiction anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's front and centre. And um, it's quite strange because I wrote... Um... I wrote that, I wrote Juniper before any of this kind of, you know, this massive outcry at the minute of, although it's always been there, but, you know, like global issues about, you know, um, clean air and, you know, global warming and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting that after I wrote it, like all this stuff started coming out, like all the summits and everything like that. And um, and the same kind of thing happened with Tome. Like I, I started writing that and and then you had the whole George Floyd thing happen and, um and it was just, it's interesting, you know, um, Josh Malaman kind of talks at these things like cosmic winks, like when something happens. And I can see, like, I, I yeah, I wrote it as post-apocalypse, but I, I'm pretty sure, like you said, it is pre, precursor to bad stuff. <laughs> and then within this kind of broader canvas of this town and this looming apocalyptic crisis, you, you actually choose to centre on quite, focused small stories so certainly in Juniper, you introduce us to this small cast of characters you mentioned betty janet and Klein, and mm. and their pet mm. <laughs> um and they live out this strangely domestic drama although it's like you know turn to 11 what came first with that did you think of the town first and populate it with these people or did that story already exist and you needed a, a backdrop the, the 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 it came first as a, as a story, so um, I'm not going to spoil anything because there is a big spoiler, which I didn't guess by the way, people. And I I'm pretty good at guessing spoilers, and I literally had zero idea it was coming until I read the actual sentence. Okay, that's that's, that's amazing. I like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like um, the meat and bones of that story that you'll find out when you read it was originally based on kind of like a, a short film. I went to film school, so to do all that kind of stuff, and it was based on a script um, about like a college guy moving into like some old woman's home um, and I'll leave it there. But it was kind of like that, that I thought it still had more bones to it. And then I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to write this story. It is really weird, but who cares? Um, so then I started writing it and I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I was like, actually they need to have like a town. And I was just like, okay. And I was off, on, off the back of reading and, and watching some of like Castle Rock stuff, and I was like, yeah, it'd be really cool to kind of build a town, and then I can mm-hmm. come back to it at certain points. And um, you know, what I love about King stuff is like the, just the references that you get. And you know, like I read um, different seasons recently, and, and there's a bit in uh, the body where they're talking about the junkyard, and then like you it talks about the dog that was soon to be replaced by. Cujo and stuff and I was just mm-hmm. like oh this is just amazing <laughs> and then like apt pupil references uh, the lawyer who worked who's up in Shawshank and it was uh, Andy Dufresne and I'm just like oh this is this is gold um so that's kind of what I wanted to do so originally I had the story and I just needed to populate it with a couple other people and then I was just like okay and they need to live in this really weird town where weather systems are all over the place and it's it's not real so no one can be like oh that's not what texas looks like or um and and yeah and i just had fun and then obviously as you said like in in juniper the um the juniper correctional facility is, is mentioned like briefly and we get a 
glimpse at a couple of inmates that are there and stuff and and then they pop up in the first in in tome when that came out um and and yeah and, and just yeah like it's just i love it I, I love the town i love it but you know i'm quite excited to write the third book and leave it for a while mm-hmm. who knows i may come back to it um but i've got other stories that i'm desperate to write but i love the town and the town will always be there and I just love small town horror. I mean, and it, it, it's having a bit of a moment at the minute because there's this and there's Goblin by Malaman and then there's oh, like yeah. Alan Baxter's The Gulp. The Gulp's brilliant as well. Yeah, Alan's going to be on the show in the new year for The Gulp 2, which I'm looking forward to. But I, I'm quite enjoying this this retro thing about small towns and, and mm. connections between people. I just spoke to Wendy Wagner last week about her book, The Deer King, which is very much in that, in that vibe of Stand By Me and It and you know, those coming of age, small town stories. We, we were saying how, how amazing it is that the, the small town she wrote about in rural Oregon reminded me massively of the small town I grew up in, in Northern England yeah. and how small towns around the world don't really change the, the same, it's same shit, different postcode. You yeah, know? exactly. D- diff- different weather, <laughs> but same crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like they, they're great. Um, they're great places to set horror stories. Yeah. And and the one th- before we finish, the one thing we haven't mentioned, and it's ridiculous that we've got this far through without mentioning it, is that Tome yeah. um, basically got you onto the Bram Stoker Award list. It, it did, and I still can't believe it. <laughs> well, let, let, let's finish by talking about that, because, I mean, wow, for somebody who wasn't writing a few years ago, by your own admission, and, and you know indie author writing quite challenging stuff i mean i imagine it was it was quite the thrill to see your name on that list yeah like i knew that the hwa existed um i kind of knew it was around i knew you know and i, I know Gemma Moore. she lives near me and um she won it or was nominated a few years ago for it as well and um and i just kind of i, I think i lost my shit quite literally when i saw it because i didn't know and i didn't have any kind of e- like I didn't know when stuff came out and then I had like people reaching out to me online, like um, Beverly Lee and, and a couple of other people and Gemma text me and stuff. And, and they were just like, Tome's on the list. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? And then I kind of looked at it and I, it was like the early prelim list. So it's like the, the recommended reading uh, that they narrowed down to like 10 or no 20 or something like that. And then I was like, okay, I'm on that list. And then uh, people had to kind of, the members then had to vote for vote for it and stuff like that and um it moved through and then the next list came out and i had the same kind of chorus of people saying it's on the list again i was like oh no and then uh and then yeah it got got onto the um the nominate the, the final ballot and um was up against like books that were much uh well mine was indie published you know i published it myself um and the others were kind of majority of them were all from publishers and i was just like wow i'm a small fish in a massive pond um and i so i was like like i was thinking like this book's like heavily kind of deals with some themes that not a lot of people talk about and i was like i wonder how it's going to go and and yeah like just i've got the certificate above my desk and i sit here every day and i look at it when i'm writing and i'm just like yeah you did good ross <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, and I still can't believe it. And you know, I, I watched the ceremony live and all that stuff, and watched all the kind of comments that came out when I didn't win. Um, I think there was a lot of a lot of anger, but you know, I you know, I haven't I haven't read um, Evie Knight's book that won. Uh, I may do it at some point, but I didn't want to read it uh, just because it was a it was a bitter sting. But I don't hold that against her. Like I went really far, and you know, when I all the way along, I was like. Right, if I could get on the, if I could be a nomin, Bram Stoker nominated author, I was like, that's all I kind of want. Like that'd be amazing. Like that, that could stay with me forever. But then as it went on, I was like, I could win. And then it, it just, it, and I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. And I was trying to stop myself thinking it. And but yeah, lots of people reached out afterwards. And you know, like we've spoken about Josh before, Josh Manaman, and he was amazing. Like he left it a few weeks and then reached out to me and was just like how you doing and and we were chatting and he was like just just remember that you wrote a really good book he said i was in that category for bird box and he said and i didn't win and you know we went away and he he shared like what he did afterwards and it was kind of like he said but then look at it now like i didn't win with bird box bird box had been made into a film and you know my whole 
career has, has changed and and it was just really nice to have someone reach out that was is, is pr- as prolific as he is and an amazing writer as he is to even know who I am I was just like shit like I've kind of arrived uh in a world I never knew I could ever get to um it's really crazy because I try not to talk about it <laughs> because I'm like I'm very kind of quiet person and I don't like to boast about anything but like when people say it sometimes I'm just like oh yeah I did get nominated for that <laughs> um yeah but yeah it's crazy crazy ride and you know who knows there may be more in the future we'll see what happens well fingers crossed and and that is a good way to segue into the typical closing segment of this podcast by asking you to recommend someone else's book that my listeners should read and tell us why okay um I'm going to go with Philip Fracassi's Boys in the Valley. Um, I would have done Josh Malaman's Ghoul in the Cape, but I know he's been on recently and that's got a lot of exposure. But that book is amazing. Um, but yeah, Philip Fracassi, Boys in the Valley, um, it harks back to kind of like 80s horror in its unabashedness. Um, it deals again with kind of themes of abuse um you know i don't love reading books about abuse but um and it's about these uh kind of boys that live in this kind of orphanage and it's horrible existence they have and then one night uh some strangers arrive with an injured person and they kind of leave the next day but something stays behind and it is just phenomenal i loved it uh it's going to be up there with one of the best books i've read this year um and that's from Earthling Publications. And so that's kind of, it's like a limited release. So, you know, if you can get hold of it, that's brilliant. But I did reach out to Philip and just told him how much I enjoyed it. And he was saying that he is, his people are looking at a way to, that it will get a larger release at some point. But um, I think it all sold out as well with Earthling, but that's my recommendation. Right. I'm glad you said that because that's a book that I haven't read that I really want to because mm. I love anything that's sort of set back in the early 20th century and, mm. and, and I like the confined setting. It sounds properly creepy. Yeah, um, it and- is. And it's very atmospheric and very almost claustrophobic um, because mm. there, there, isn't, there aren't many um, kind of locations. And it kind of deals with kind of, um, I won't say because it will spoil it, but... Um, okay. But yeah, it's 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 very very cool, and, and the way he takes it, and it's the first time I've ever read his work, and I can tell you it won't be won't be my last. I've already picked up some of his other work. Well, he's got another book out next year called A Child Along with Strangers next August, yeah. um, which I intend to read. I'm hoping to get him on the show to talk about that, and then have the chance to go back to Boys in the Valley. Thanks for that. And my last question, and I, I think I know what you're going to say because I think I've seen your answer to this elsewhere. But what truly scares you? Well. This, this changes from time to time, so it may be different. I'm not too sure. But um, recently, it has been time in the sense of not having enough of it, um, you know, not knowing how many kisses and cuddles I'll get to give my children, not knowing how many novels I'll get to write or books I'll get to do or... Um, you know, how many times we get to do anything. It's just that kind of that unknown of how much time we each have. And it, sometimes I think about it and it absolutely just plagues my every thought. And I just have to like, just run into my kid's room and give them a cuddle. And I'm just like, all right, there's another one in the bag. Um, and because of my work and like where I work and I work with lots of addicts and, and, and you know, like some days I'll go into work and the person that I've been talking to for months is dead like i find out they're mm. dead and i'm just like oh if only i'd kind of said that or I, I guess it's kind of on the caveat of that is like living your life with no regrets and saying yes and not being in a position where you haven't got enough time left and you wish you'd done something um i think yeah so time is is kind of at the minute that's kind of what i'm scared of the more i think about it and i'm probably not going to sleep now but the more i think about it the more i'm like Oh yeah, because like sometimes I will go to bed at night and I'll think to myself, if I like, who knows if I'm going to wake up in the morning? Like, I don't know. Like when I close my eyes, I know nothing until I wake up, and I was just like, what happens if this is it? And I haven't had the chance to do that. <laughs> well, that that is deeply profound, um, and, and not to in any way trivialise this, but I thought you were going to say spiders. <laughs> oh, I, I I do hate spiders, but that's just I can I can kill those. 
I mean, like that's not a, a big scary. Like they ask. Like I even hate little ones, but recently because the weather's changed, we've had like big ones come out. Um, I try to save them. Like, you know, people that read my work, you know, animals do die in some of my work, but spiders deserve to die in my opinion. Um, <laughs> they are creepy. They are. I just don't like them. I don't like the way they move. But yeah, spiders is is a big one. <laughs> well, from the profound to the, I won't say ridiculous, but at least like let's say manageable yeah yeah, manageable yeah well ross as we've said you know your books are nightmarish you've turned out to be a thoroughly nice guy and thank you (laughs) no but i wish you all the best for future endeavors i can't wait to see what happens next in juniper thank you and here's to many more nominations on the the bram stoker yeah i suppose we're now within touching distance i can say have a nice christmas and and thank you for talking scared Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, Ross is just further proof that being a horror fan or a horror writer is not a sign that you are dark, damaged or deranged. If I can have anything at all for Christmas, it would be an end to that friggin' idea. However, speaking of Christmas... I was being honest when I said that, had I read Only the Stains Remain before booking it in the schedule, I may have released this episode at some other date. Christmas is a great time for scares. I mean, after all, the ghost story is a festive tradition. But I'm not sure brutal child abuse quite fits the seasonal mood. So I'm sorry if I took the shine off your tinsel. Who knows? Maybe I'm being too tentative. Maybe I've lost sight of what a bloodthirsty pack of bastards you all are. If so, happy days, because these novels are bloody as hell. I'll be honest, actually. Only the Stains Remain isn't really my kind of horror. I've never been someone who's drawn to, to this kind of extremity. I'm more into slowly unveiled mysteries, creepy histories, adventure horror, epics. I won't go on, you all know my tastes by now. So yeah, Only the Stains Remain was way outside my wheelhouse. However, that's just a preference. It's not a bad review. If you like splatter and gore and really edgy horror, this book has it in spades. I'll leave that up to you. Horror being the broad church that it is. Some will love this. Some may struggle. But Juniper and Tome, I did like. Particularly Juniper. It's got a great world with these really vivid tones all of its own. And and despite being grim as hell, There was dark humour in there and a sense of pathos hidden in the folds of the horror and the vileness. You can really feel the Polaniuk influence, though Ross's prose style is very different. I know I've just said that I don't like Extremity, and I'm going to immediately give the lie to that statement by talking about some of the books that that me and Ross kind of shared our, our love for. For those who are new to Talking Scared, you may not know that I always list the books mentioned in the show notes for later perusal. My wife, who has finally started listening to this show, it's only been 14 months, love, that's fine, she alerted me to the fact that I have stopped actually referring to those books in this little afterword, though. Everyone's a critic. It's a good point, because I used to do it, and this week, Ross mentioned some books that I would like to pick up on. Haunted by Chuck Palahniuk, is an underappreciated classic. I mentioned it a good few times in the early episodes, but not for a while. And just to reiterate, you really should read it. It's got this cool structure, 20 or so interconnected short stories, all with a a governing plot to link them together. It's like the horror equivalent of the Canterbury Tales, and it contains a story so sick that it makes people faint. There was also Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door, That was written in 1989, but I've seen it mentioned loads recently in horror discourse. Now, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because the book itself is great. It's a real high landmark for for that kind of horror. But it is so unutterably grim that it being back in conversation either means a lot of people are searching for a new depravity or the end times are coming. The book is based on the true story of Sylvia Likens, a a young girl who was kept prisoner in a suburban home and and systematically tormented to death by local adults and teens alike. Yeah, Merry Christmas. That sounds exploitative, I I know, but it really isn't. It's, It's 
hard going, but it's also a very moving commentary on violence and evil and coercion. It is upsetting, tread carefully, but if you're a horror fan, there is a lot in there to be cherished. Lastly, Ross mentioned his friend and friend of the show, Eric LaRocca. Eric's novella, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, set the horror community on fire earlier this summer. I won't say too much, except that it does contain one section that is hands down the most upsetting thing I've read all year. And I've read a lot. Again, though, it has something to say above and beyond its own extremity. And the way Eric recaptures the early internet community is is so, so good. Eric was on the show in episode 44 and he was just the loveliest guest, which is further proof of my thesis that horror people are good people. Go and listen to that, actually. It's a great episode. But yeah, Chuck Palahniuk's Haunted, Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door, and Eric LaRocca's Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. If you want to get someone in your family some books that will either delight them this Christmas or ensure that your conservative uncle doesn't come back next year, those three will do it. What's that you say? What do I want for Christmas? Oh, I can't believe you thought to ask. Thanks, guys. Quite simply, help me grow this show. I want 2022 to be a big year. So you can start by following me on social media if you don't already. I'm at TalkScaredPod on Twitter Instagram and goddamn TikTok. You can email me directly at talkingscaredpod at gmail.com. You can tell a friend who you think would enjoy the show. If you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Those really do make a difference. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon. You get bonus stuff and, and you help make the show better. And you can follow the link in the show notes or go directly to patreon.com slash talking scared pod the latest subscribers are anna chris and laura and and guys well thanks a ton you've put a smile on my face and i hope you like what i have planned as a christmas extra next week i'll be speaking to aj west about his debut novel the spirit engineer no spoiler to say it's one of my very favorite books of the year and a reassuringly creepy ghost story it's kind of perfect for these dark nights Until then, though, support indie authors, be open to extremes, but be happy in your comfort zone. Read good books, and remember, it's good to be scared.